0: And as long as you do it quick and cheap, it's not a big deal. And so I've just, this whole journey has been so organic
1: that I just look at this all as one big test. All right. Episode 20, 20 something. I, I don't, I don't know what, what episode number this is. Um, and you know what? I hate doing this part. This is my least favorite part of the whole thing. I, so I'm not going to re-record this. Episode 20 something of Golf Needs You, a podcast for golf industry creators entrepreneurs and professionals can walk us through their personal stories and their professional journeys and tell us a little bit about how we got to where we are today. My guest today is Eric Sedrans. Eric is the founder and CEO of Member4Day. And if you can get through the somewhat staticky audio, because again, I I don't know what I'm doing from the editing side. If anybody wants to help me edit this, shoot me a note. Um, If you can get through that, this is a truly fascinating conversation, and I don't mean By anything that the interviewer said it's all about the interviewee eric's work with member for a day is is inspiring i admittedly didn't know that much about what eric does before he and i started chatting And, and by the end i was just ready to run through a brick wall for member for a day and for eric he's a inspiring dude and a really interesting guy you can follow along with everything that he does at member for a day i'll give you exactly how to do that at the end of the podcast. It, it's important stuff, and, it, and it's great work. And, and even more than that, it was fascinating from a entrepreneurial standpoint. So, without further ado, my name is Will Mayo, Director of Golf Sales and Business Development for Rams Hill Golf Club in Brago Springs, California. And this is episode number twenty something like of Golf Needs You. Thank you, as always, for listening. Out on the is All right, uh, we are here with Eric Sedrans, founder and CEO of Number Four Day. Thanks for joining my tiny little baby podcast.
0: <laughs> Will, thanks for having
1: me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> well, the, the first question that I ask everyone, and uh, truthfully, I'm not even sure if this applies here, but I, but I ask, you know, someone stops you in an, an elevator and asks you what you do for a living, and what do you tell them?
0: I tell them that I help nonprofits fundraise through once-in-a-lifetime rounds of golf.
1: Dang. That's a pretty sweet elevator pitch. <laughs> Hence the, hence the elevator setting. Um, well, I know that uh, f- from the little that I know about you, I know that it wasn't, Memory for day didn't start as a uh, attempt for doing something for a living, right? I mean, can you talk about like the, the genesis of what you're doing right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if we're talking about the original genesis, it really was just, I was playing some nice golf courses and taking some average of best photos with my iPhone and figured it'd be a nice way to connect with, people like yourself, right? People that love the game of golf and want to travel. And, um, that was kind of the, the, the real Genesis. And then, you know, you, you fast forward a couple of years or in the other way, you rewind a year back from where we are now. Um, you know, at the time I'm living in New York city, I'm working in tech, I'm running business development for a variety of different tech companies and got laid off like a lot of us during the beginning of COVID and <clears throat> I escaped to South Carolina because um, I just wanted nothing to do with New York City apartment life going to a pandemic. And thankfully, my mother lives down in Hilton Head, so that was kind of an easy escape. Oh, nice. And so you know, I was down there and and realized two things really quickly. One, I wasn't going to get a job anytime soon, so the prospects of applying and networking for a job was just kind of a waste of time. And then I just started to feel really guilty of um you know golf courses didn't close in south carolina uh actually ever during the pandemic uh, for better or worse (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. (laughs) so you know here i am playing golf um and my friends are stuck in their apartments in new york city for two weeks haven't been outside so um i had this overwhelming sense of guilt and it led me down this path of looking for something creative and a way to give back and so I just started reaching out to my network of friends who are either members or head or assistant pros at some of the best clubs in the country and asked them if they'd be willing to donate a round of golf. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of the genesis, right? I mean, that, that's really where it all started and, you know, where we've gone from, from there is um, just been a really wild and exciting ride.
1: Right, and, and so the ask to donate a round of golf was was to have that an auctioned off for charity, right?
0: Yeah, so I, <clears throat> exactly, um, auctioned off purely on social media. I spent a, a while looking for the right organization and the right mission. I ended up going with a group called Project Frontline um, that worked um, to essentially feed hospital frontline workers while supporting local businesses. So it's kind of a, a two for one. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically I just started reaching out I, to be honest, Will, I expected a lot of them to say no. And, um, you know, the first one said yes. And that was really all I needed. That was enough that it was like, okay, this is, this is possible. And, um, after about two weeks of outreach, I got about 20 golf courses. Um, really, really kind of the, the crum de cram actually um, I'll never forget it. The night before we went live, I got a, a call from a friend and he said, Shinnecock is in. And I was like, oh man, that's <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Um, you know, so that obviously kind of changed my perception a little bit, but, you know, still, this was just, this was just a real fun, creative side project. And, um, you know, we, we launched on, I believe it was May 14th. Um, you know, my goal was maybe to raise 10 or $15,000 and, you know, as soon as I put it out there, um, just purely on organic social, I didn't pay for any marketing, obviously, but um, I just started receiving just an absurd amount of messages on sure. Instagram from people all over the world. And honestly, Will, some of the, the best memories I have of this past year are just literally, I would get messages from people that just said, thank you. Thank you for taking the initiative of doing this. You know, my son or daughter, or husband or wife is a frontline worker, and, I just really appreciate you doing this and it was like wow I just okay. I've never been thanked before for you know initiatives like that I mean on that scale um and then you know the the other part was I was getting messages from people all around the world who I don't know who just said you know hey I'm a member of interlocking can I donate an additional round hey I'm a member of the Mid-Ocean Club can I donate an additional round on and on and on and so Wow. By the time we ended, we had just—I think we had 48 golf courses. So I launched with 20. So like 60% of the rounds came from people that I had never met before, right? And it, it's—it's so—it's so cool because we hear a lot of things about the negatives of social media, and um, the golf social media world is pretty good.
1: Oh, I <laughs> agree. This is
0: a, this is a great you know, a story about just that is that all these people just came together. Um, And
1: that's incredible, man. So so I imagine probably pretty quickly in there. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I assume this was maybe thought to be a one-time shot. We do this once, we'd raise money at a tough time, but then did rather quickly, did you kind of realize that, oh shoot, maybe I could just, this could be evergreen. I, I could keep doing this and build a life out of it. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's been a very iterative journey, right? So you know, the, the auction, um, like I said, just completely took off. We ended up, or I ended up raising over $101,000, which equates to over 10,000 meals for hospital frontline workers, just a staggering amount. It's
1: incredible.
0: (laughs) And, um, I remember that, that last night, I think we raised, um, over $36,000 in the last like two hours. It was just wild to just watch Mm -hmm. the numbers go up. And, um, everything from that point forward was was very organic. and what i mean by that is um you know a couple writers in in the golf industry were following me on instagram and they saw the story and they said hey you know i'd be interested in writing this which you, you know are you free for an interview and so, sure. So i got written up a couple times and then golf magazine wrote about it and then the new york post wrote about it and then you know i, I got a good amount of press and um then from that point forward will to answer your question is you know, I, I, definitely, I had a sense that there was something bigger here, mainly just because of the response from people, um, and the, and the specific, the emotional response that I hit on. Um, but then after the press, basically about 20 nonprofits reached out to me and said, you know, can you help us? You, know, hmm. you were successful with COVID, you do for cancer, social services, youth golf, homelessness, on and on and on. And, you know, I'm an entrepreneur by nature, and I just said, um, "I think so. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a professional fundraiser, but I'm sure I could kind of figure this out." And so, you know, that was about seven ish months ago, and now here we are, um, just about to cross the million dollars raised for charity since wow. inception. <laughs> so it's it's like I said, it's been a really really wild and fulfilling
1: ride. That that seems so fast to me, so in that seven months, I mean this could get granular, but I'm interested so I'll ask anyway in that seven months, and did you have to like establish it as a like a five one c three I don't even know what that means, but did you have to do all of that to legitimize it, or I mean I'm assuming this is when people aren't just throwing Venmo at you and then you hand it out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, How does that work? It's so so. We're actually not a five hundred and one C three. We're we're an LLC, so we are a for profit business. Our clients okay. are our nonprofits. We, you know, initially I, I kind of went back and forth on that one a bunch, but um, there is just the, the the amount of good that we can do in the world, and the the way we, that we can scale and grow would be a lot easier as a for profit versus a nonprofit.
1: Just because of like hoops, you have to jump through like regulations. There's a lot
0: more regulation with nonprofits um, and it just kind of pigeonholes you into doing certain things, certain ways. Whereas within just a standard corporation, you can pretty much kind of run the ship as you like, which is, you know, I come from a a venture capital back, you know, tech background where things move really fast. So that's, that's the only way I know, right. That's my modus operandi. Um, Which is like the
1: opposite of golf.
0: golf. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exciting, though, because then it's green space, right? Right. And, um, you know, that, that's, um, yeah, it's, I, I haven't had any, you know, we haven't run into any issues with that at all. And to answer your question, you know, yeah, we've, we've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. But I think part of the reason that's the case is because I'm having so much fun you know, and it's like the classic adage, right? If like, if you do the things you like and you're having fun, you'll never work a day in your life, which is like the cheesiest thing that like (laughs) tells you when you're 18 years old, but it's like, it really is true that, I mean, I'm raising money for charity through the game of golf and building a tech platform and a community of thousands of like-minded individuals who also want to do the same thing. Like how could it get any better?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that way in my own job every day. Yeah. You know, this is, this is primarily a a golf podcast, but it also doubles as just a place where I air my own insecurities about myself. Uh, I would be intimidated to like even understand how you start an LLC or how you get that all off the ground. I mean, did your professional background have you well positioned for that or are you just kind of learning as you go?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Will I think, um, You know, I've never thought of life as a straight line. I've always, the the most interesting people that I've met in life are the ones that have very curved backgrounds. What I mean by that is, you know, they're not just working a job for 30 years, retiring, buying a home with a white picket fence. They have different jobs in different industries in different countries um, have had successes, have had failures, maybe lots of failures. Um, And I'd like to think that, you know, my career in New York City prior was just really getting me prepared for running this company. And so all of the things that I maybe didn't even realize I was learning at the time um, has allowed, you know, the company to just accelerate our growth way faster than I would have, you know, had, I, had this been started 10 years ago. Um, sure you know, I've also, I was fortunate. I, I got an MBA from Babson college that the number one school in the world for entrepreneurship. And so they really prepared us, um, to, to fail fast, to fail quickly, to try things, to experiment. and And I mean, just that, like they would talk so often about like, don't worry about failure. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it happens. And as long as you do it quick and cheap, it's not a big deal. And so I've just, this whole journey has been so organic that I just look at this all as one big test and ultimately my entire goal and North star is to raise millions and millions of dollars through the game of golf. That's the only thing I'm, I'm focused on. It's the only thing I care about. So if we're doing something that doesn't accomplish that, I'm not doing it right now.
1: Well, and and it seems like it would be very difficult for this to fail at all one and for it to fail in any sort of expensive manner. I mean, it, it seems like it's pretty, low overhead i would think i mean it's like the like, like the way you talk about it, it's like oh shoot you just started this business in your mind immediately and then it just became a thing like the, i don't know that's yeah. a terrible question that wasn't even a question
0: no i mean it kind of is because you you know that, that's like yes to some degree but then all of a sudden you know you realize like you know we're we're auctioning off at this point we've done hundreds and hundreds of rounds and so the scheduling and fulfillment of that is actually quite complicated so much so Mm. well that like, you know, we tried to use Calendly, which I'm sure, you know, most people listening to this podcast are pretty familiar with, like Calendly couldn't handle what we're doing. So now we have to build our own version. So, so we're going about this and I say, we, um, my co-founder Joe is a technical genius and he handles all the stuff that I don't know how to do. You know, he's building tech infrastructure as if we were a venture capital back tech company but again, our entire ethos is golf and charity. So, um, it's, I think it's becoming, it's as complicated as you want it to be. Um, we just want to make sure that, you know, this is going to be a big year. We're going to, we're going to raise a lot of money for charity and we want to make sure that we're able to handle all of the logistics and operations that, that go into sort of all like the scheduling and fulfillment and payments and customer service and all the all the other stuff that, you know, the non-sexy stuff of the business, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for bailing me out with a smart answer to a stupid question, but that was <laughs> more interesting than, than even I kind of had realized. But um, you, you have a little professional background in, in golf as well, right? according to the 10 seconds I I did on your LinkedIn yeah, before this. Bit.
0: Yeah. I, back when I was uh, a little bit younger, um, I started a company called the early birdie, which was essentially billed um, in the press as Groupon for golf. This was kind of early days group on living social when those companies were just going bang gangbusters and everyone was getting involved. I, I thought there was an opportunity um, to do it for in the golf industry. And, you know, again, kind of going back to my, my conversation before about, you know, everything sort of preparing myself for this moment now, you know, I was so green, I was so young. I had no idea how to split equity in a company. I had no idea how to value a company. I had no idea what a board of directors was. I, I just really had no idea what I was doing. And most importantly, I had no idea about time management. I think the most, the single most important Well, I guess I would say there's two things. The two most important things of being an entrepreneur is one, focusing your time on the most important things, like the things that are going to move the the business forward and impact the most people. And the second thing, and this is the most important, is avoid burnout at all costs. And I can't stress that enough because when I was running the early birdie, I was staying up to like two in the morning doing data entry, which is like the silliest thing a, a, founder of a company can do and ultimately I burnt out yeah and if you burn out it's game over the business <laughs> the business is done there is no it's over right there's nothing that nothing is, is is gonna happen from that point forward and so I am super super cognizant now and I still need to get better at this but of, of recognizing when I'm getting really tired and and kind of like you know just touching upon that burnout and saying okay I'm going to close my computer. I'm going to turn my phone off and go, you know, go play nine holes of golf, go for a hike. You know, it's kind of just, it, it's
1: out. funny. I, I kind of do the same thing. Like I, I'm by no means an entrepreneur, but with my, with my job, you know, I, I do golf sales and I eat what I kill. So there's no like clocking in or clocking out for me. The, the only person who's hindered by me taking time off other than the company is, is me. Um, so it's hard for me to like shut it down to like, I find it. And, and I always kind of, harp on the fact that I I like that my work and and my life feel integrated. Like I, I don't shut off work to go enjoy life Mm -hmm. or vice versa. But I do think that if I'm not careful, I could set myself up for the same kind of feeling and it's, I don't know how best to manage it either.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things to unpack there. The first is that, you know, as a salesperson, as an entrepreneur, you know, you have to understand the work you can be busy forever. You know, like I could sit here and work for 400 hours straight and just continue to have work because I, it, it, it never ends. It's, it's complete, just complete green landscape that, that is untouched. Um, and, but ultimately like what, what does that accomplish? Right. Like, you know, I think I've always been a big believer. I'm a results driven person. So, you know my, my team members, I tell them, I say, I don't care if you want to work at three in the morning in your pajamas, as long as you get the work done, go for it. it doesn't right. matter to me.
1: Yep. Yep. I know. I, I'm just, you know, I'm rather new to, to sales and I was, I was nervous about not liking it, but kind of the opposite has taken hold where I like it a lot. And now I just need to make sure that I don't overdo
0: it. The other thing you were talking about, Will, is kind of that the separation between work and life. I, about 10 years ago, I met a group. Um, they were called Live in the Gray, which I don't think they're around anymore. There's a really fascinating group of mainly women in New York City, and their whole ethos was most people think of life and work as black and white. And their thing was, that's not true. You should live in the gray, meaning it's all the same. Like, it's all just life. Cool. Like, you should be the same person, whether you're in the office, whether you're playing golf, whether you're, you know, at a formal dinner, you should be the same person. And, um, that, that was very instrumental in sort of dictating the person that I became. And if you meet me now in person, regardless of what situation we're in, I'm going to be exactly the same. So I really took that to heart. And I think it's really important to live in the gray because a lot of people, you know, who are in, especially in more formal jobs, if you work in finance, it's kind of hard for that, right? You come and you put your suit on, you kind of become a different person, but, I don't want to be a different person. I don't want to be an actor at my job. I want to be exactly the same person, no matter what situation I'm in or who I'm with.
1: Hmm, I like that man. I, I'm, gonna use, I'm gonna steal that and use it. I, <laughs> I really like that. It's uh, it's 4:30 on a on a Friday. What did your day look like today at work? What'd you do today?
0: It's <laughs> a great question. I um, thank you. <laughs> I got it, It's funny. It's like I gotta remember some of these things, right? Like with during COVID. Shh days blend together and things kind of like, I, I kind of forgot it was Friday to be honest. Cause it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I had a call with um, one of my advisors. Um, we're working on sort of taking the framework of my story and, and the member for a Day platform and turning it into, you know, some sort of content or TV show Um, focusing on everything that's good in the game of golf, so the intersection of charity and golf, kind of like road trip, golf, celebrities, charity kind of thing. Um, I am helping out with uh, Coaches versus Cancer, the American Cancer Society. Um, They're one of my clients. They asked me if I would chair the council for their annual golf tournament at Whistling Straits in June uh, this year, so I was on a call with Whistling Straits. Um, They're like tournament directors today, just kind of figuring out cool initiatives of um, ways that we can make the tournament more fun. They're just opening their, their short course, the baths course. Um, Oddly enough, we're going to be there like the same week it opens. So we're talking about doing some cool stuff with the short course. Um, I pitched a a couple people, a couple writers on my story. Um, Again, like we're about to raise a million dollars. And so I think that's really important. And then ultimately, which is taking up most of my time right now is, you know, Talking to nonprofits, um, telling my story, and explaining them the platform I've created, and showing them real world examples of how much money we raised. Right? I mean, you know, we you know we raised one hundred forty one thousand dollars for the first T. We raised two hundred seventeen thousand dollars for the American Cancer Society. You know, we've we raised almost half a million dollars in the month of December alone. So cool. we're we're growing really quickly and you know i'm i'm so thankful because my story is just you know was ultimately and i think this goes back to the original conversation it was really just me feeling guilty about my situation and trying to help some other people and it's led to a, a pretty large platform that even when i kind of think about it i kind of get choked up a little bit that like a million dollars is a lot of money for charity <laughs> oh yeah i mean
1: i i can't imagine what you know may of 2020 or march of 2020 version of you would be thinking about what you're doing now and it's it's pretty cool i how do you how do you even delineate or decide like what charities to choose i mean the the options are endless do you try to like do it thematically like with what's going on in the world or would you see it being more golf focused in charities or is it just going to kind of be across the the board yeah it's a good question
0: you know I'll, the first thing I'll say is our, our, our growth to this point has been a hundred percent organic. So, you know, we worked with Project Frontline and then a group in Boston called the Heart Brothers saw us on social media and said, Hey, can you help us out? And then a group in New York called SEO asked us and we said, yeah. So everything has just been word of mouth. I mean, literally yeah. like, and I can't, I can't stress that enough. Um, so right now it's, it's, it's really just that it's very organic and word of mouth, um, you know the biggest prerequisite of working with us is to have some connections in golf right so kind of the way our model works is um, the nonprofit uses their existing donor network their friends their family um, hopefully some big donors who are members of really great golf courses and they offer up the rounds and then member for a day we do everything else um, you know we build a custom auction site we market it on social we market to email um, you know, we market it to our thousands of community members who are just obsessed with with playing these once in a lifetime rounds of golf. And I mean, you know, you talk about there's been you know we've sold some rounds for a lot of money. I mean, to date, our the highest selling item so far is a round with Ken Griffey Jr. at Grove Twenty Three. So we're not talking about you know wow. pretty pretty legit offering, but it sold for over twenty two thousand dollars for a single round of golf. Um, wow. So. Yeah, to answer your question, um, you know, the prerequisite of working for us is you are a 501c3 with a good standing, you know, good rating on Charity Navigator or GuideStar, and you have, you know, and, and I, it's interesting because a lot of nonprofits don't even realize this, but um, you have access to golf courses. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, if you have a big enough donor network… And there's some wealthy people in that. I can pretty much guarantee you some of them are members of great golf courses. And so it's been—it's so funny. Like I'll—I'll sure. I'll work with a grassroots small organization, and they'll email me on like a random Tuesday, night and they'll be like, "Um, one of our donors just um said he's a, he's a member of uh, Myopia Hunt Club. Is that any good?" And I'm just like, "Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's <awesome. laughs> You know, because they have no idea that's they're cool. not golfers. Um, so it's almost like finding these." unused assets and and if you think about it from the economics perspective will you know a round of uh, at myopia let's say we'll sell for four thousand dollars but if that's hosted by a member those guest fees are only i don't know maybe let's say four hundred dollars so a sure. four hundred dollar investment grossed four thousand dollars for the charity so that donor could have written the four thousand dollar check himself or instead just played around a round of golf Paid four hundred hours in gas fees and turn that in to a ten x return on investment. So the economics are really, really exciting uh, from the donor perspective.
1: Oh yeah, and and the way that this nonsensical podcast goes is I don't really write out any questions. I just find myself getting excited and I think about like what I would do if I were in that position that you're in, and and I would be so pumped up to like not only broker all of those uh, private club, you know, experiences, but also. I mean, I, I can imagine how fun it would be to try to put together things like Griffey at the Grove and, and those experiences that go beyond just playing private course X. It seems like literally the options are unlimited. You know, we,
0: the coaches versus cancer one was, was definitely our – I mean, it was our biggest in terms of the amount raised but also our most creative. We got 100 Division One basketball coaches so that you know the likes of the biggest coaches in the country – to donate a round of golf with them at their home course so we had rick patino at wingfoot we had um, roy williams at biltmore forest we had lon krueger at southern hills brad underwood at olympia fields like, it was sick and you know from a content perspective you know i was sitting over here drooling and so i pitched to to american cancer society and coaches versus cancer i was like can i interview these people and talk about golf and they were like sure so next thing you know i'm sitting there and interviewing. Jim Beheim and Patino and Calhoun and Kruger, and just, and we're not talking basketball, we're talking golf. And what's so funny, Will, is that, like, oh, wow. you know, if you think about someone like a Jim Beheim, all he's doing all day long, every single day for year in, year out, is talking about basketball.
1: Talking, talking hoops. hoops. Yeah. So
0: here I come and I just say, and Jim Beheim, it's funny for two reasons. One, he's notoriously known as a difficult interviewer, and two, he's a huge golfer. And so if you watch that interview, I, the first thing I said to him, I'm like, Coach Boeheim, like we're not going to be talking about basketball today. We're, we're going to be talking about golf, and I know you're a huge golfer. And in the research I did, Coach Jim Beheim played golf at Syracuse, and then he coached the Syracuse golf team before he coached the basketball team. So if you watch the interview, <laughs> I say that to him, and he opens up like a Christmas tree. He just lights up. And and next, you know, you know, we're talking for 20 minutes about, Oh, you know, I played Augusta and I made a hole in one here and I played with these. They just, they loved it. And so that coaches versus cancer one really opened my perspective as to where this platform can go, um, in terms of obviously the fundraising and also kind of media and and really interesting and and compelling content as well.
1: Wow. Man, I'm, I'm so excited just listening to, to all of that you're saying. I mean, I, I didn't understand the scope and, and I ignorantly didn't think about all the different ways that it could branch off and, and what the future could look like. I know you mentioned a couple of different things that you're kind of talking about or kicking around, but what does maybe the immediate and or the long-term future kind of look like for member for a day?
0: Yeah. I mean, my, you know, the immediate is, we are going to just have a lot of these charity golf auctions in the next few months we're going to really start scaling up um and so you know from the consumer side of things like if you want to play a -a once-in-a-lifetime round of golf like I, i i want member for a day to just be synonymous with that and for everyone to just understand like that's the place to go um but larger you know my goal is is to create a brand that stands for everything good in the game of golf and so that's definitely like i've been mentioning a couple times like really compelling interesting content because i think you know, well, it's one thing to raise money. It's another thing to actually show people where that money went, you know? So Hmm. I'm I'm speaking to a group right now called golf for Africa and they raise a bunch of money and the money goes to building wells in Africa, like just super, super cool stuff. So, you know, I want to go to Africa. I want to, I want to show people, I want to say, do you remember that, you know, hundred thousand dollars we raised six months ago? it built this well for these people to drink water. Like that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited. Um, and ultimately I I think that's what my community members want to see because I don't know, whenever you like people, like in general, people aren't transparent with money. Um, and so like, you know, you raise a bunch of money, like where does it go? Like nobody knows. So if I actually show them, um, to me that like closes the loop and makes it so much more compelling and also just interesting and stimulating and engaging. And, um, so that's, that's where I envision this. I mean, you know, in a post COVID world, there's no question we're going to do an event. Maybe we'll do it at Rams. Um,
1: yeah, we could do that. I know a guy,
0: (laughs) you know, I, that'd be great. Yeah. I definitely want to, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to be a virtual company, but I definitely want to sort of be able to meet community members and, get people to connect in real life and so i think we all sure. have ideas and, of post-covid world what we're gonna do
1: <laughs> yeah go to the movie theater <laughs> <laughs> um what uh so how many how many people on the on the team right now is it just the two so, of you
0: um we're a team of five. Yeah, Oh wow we brought on um, three sort of like junior slash interns um, so yeah we're and, and that's
1: paid staff yeah um, Wow, man. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I say paid staff, you know, we're not like, we're not really taking salaries right now. You know, we're early stages or, you know, we're not, we're not a profitable business yet. But
1: um, Is that weird to like talk about, I always wonder like with social entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. like obviously, obviously CEOs and, and folks of many charitable organizations make a lot of money and as they should. Is it weird, like in a startup position with this truly altruistic, you know, venture, but to also at the same time say, "Yeah, I want to make a living out of this"? Like, is that a weird line ever? Was that a decent question? Question.
0: And um, I, when I first decided that this was the path that I was going to go down, I struggled with this immensely, and I bet that just. I've always been a believer. I mean, I volunteered with a group called All Hands and Hearts that I'm going to be working with in the next month or two. They're amazing. They're volunteer driven. Uh, there's a very popular statistic in the nonprofit space um, where it basically tracks the amount of money that's donated and what percentage of it actually goes to the end use versus paying salaries and paying overhead and printing and supplies and that kind of stuff so all hands and hearts is like a 92 percent which is basically unheard of it, what it means is that they're volunteer driven so no one gets paid anything you know and then on the opposite hmm. and you have companies like or organizations like the red cross where it's like 30 percent because they have big overhead and so i struggled with this concept for a really long time and then i watched a ted talk um by a guy named dan palata and It completely and utterly changed my perspective. And I'm obviously going to be paraphrasing a lot of what Dan talks about. And I encourage you and anyone else who listens to this to to watch it. But basically, one of the things Dan talks about is, you know, why should the CEO of Burger King, who's, you know, selling fast food, which doesn't do anything good, it actually makes people unhealthy. Why should he make $10 million, but the head of a massive organization that's trying to cure cancer. If he makes $500,000, we crucify him. And he also went on to basically say that unless we're able to pay leaders of nonprofits a relatively decent salary, well, then every single year until eternity, all the smartest kids in the world, all the MIT and Stanford and Harvard grads, they're going to go to Goldman Sachs, they're going to go to Wall Street, and they're going to make their millions of dollars because they can make more money there. And so until we can pay them a reasonable amount of money, we're never going to attract the talent and innovation that we need. And so I I can't stress it enough. Like watch Dan Pilata's TED Talk. It completely changed my perspective. Honestly, I I'm at the end of this conversation. I'm going to listen to it again because it's been months since I listened to it. And it's just um yeah, it's 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 okay for people in the nonprofit space to make money. It's actually more than okay because they're dedicating their lives to making the world a better place, which we need more people like that.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, um, and that's fascinating. I will definitely go listen to that. I, I feel the same way, so that's that was cool. Um, last question. Last question. I asked everybody. I put everybody on the spot. Everybody hates it, but I do it anyway. Um, do you have any breaking news that you'd like to to share on the podcast that I can use to shamelessly promote this episode with? <laughs> Not. It can be personal life. You know, it can be work. <laughs> There we not got
0: really breaking news. Um, like I said, the, the big thing for us is we're going to be crossing the million dollars raised for charity. Um, it's going to happen in, in the next few breaking news, Yeah. So I think we're okay. at, um, we're at like 800,000 right now and March is going to be huge. So we're going to just dive right through that line and um, yeah, get into the, the seven figure game of, uh, of a mountain race for charity, which is just like I said before, just a, a staggering amount and, and, uh, humbling, really humbling.
1: Well, that's really cool, man. I'm, I'm excited to watch where it goes from here. Um, for, for anybody listening, what's the best way to, to follow along with what you do and more importantly, best way to get involved in and in donate. So,
0: um, you know, we're, uh, we're, I'm very active on Instagram at member for a day. So definitely follow us there. Um, our websites, member for a uh, and you could sign up for our email list there. Um, uh, those are definitely the best ways. And God, like I said, it's, um, we're going to start getting really active over the next couple weeks here. Um, I'm getting tired just thinking about it. <laughs> but um, it's great because we're going to have a ton of amazing golf courses. And we're going to raise a ton of money for charity, which is um, gets me out of bed in the morning.
1: That's awesome, man. I, I really enjoyed talking to you, and I really appreciate, appreciate you taking the time. Likewise, we'll appreciate it. I'm playing golf this weekend I'm on the tee
0: box swinging I have my phone up on airplane mode
1: I'm on the fairway lighting up a stove